You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, uh, I want to thank you all for coming out tonight. Uh, there are definitely more of you than I anticipated, so that's cool. Uh, but uh, I want to thank Brandon for inviting me out, the Church of the Advent for hosting this shindig, and all the associated ministries, and all of you uh, students for giving up uh, a Monday night, which could have you could have spent doing all number of wild and wondrous things in Alabama. Um, but uh, uh, at this point, I would usually tell a fun story in order to connect to the audience. Uh, kind of like a pathos move, this is what they tell you in preacher school, but um, I, Brandon said I have what, only two hours, and so I, I don't have much time, so I got to get to it. The Baptist didn't even blink. You believed me. Um, the Episcopals got nervous. Uh, no, I'm just playing. But let's go ahead and pray, uh, because I need the Holy Spirit to help me do this thing right now. So, <sighs> Father in heaven, you are holy and you are righteous and your word is true, and it is life-giving, and it is what we need now more than anything in this moment. God, we ask you that you would be present by your spirit, that you would calm our hearts, that you would focus our minds, that you would rebuke the lies of the enemy, that you would focus us in. I, I know that we all, we all come in from different places from school, from uh, friends and relationships and family situations that may be vying for our attention right now. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would quiet those things and focus us in on what you have to say to us right now through your word. Make us more and more like your son. It's what we most need. And so we trust you. We trust your promises that you will be here present in your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, when Brandon asked me to come out and uh, teach tonight, he said, okay, just preach the gospel. And so I thought, well, Luke, Luke 7. I I, I thought of this story and this... uh, this parable in this story, and the thing about parables in Jesus, everybody knows Jesus taught in parables, or most of us do. Uh, the thing that happens with parables, I've noticed, is that we often tend to reduce them to cute little, like, like Jewish Aesop's fables with a, you know, there's like a story with a moral on it, like Johnny, don't lie, or whatever it is. And uh, we miss the power of these things, right? Because the way it usually happened was there was some awkward situation that Jesus had caused, and then, and then people feel awkward, and then he throws these theological hand grenades into the middle of them and, and blows up everybody's understanding of God and their own lives and Jesus Christ and, and everything else and, and cuts to the heart of things. And that's really what parables look like. And this one just, just has grabbed me for a long time. And, and my, my conviction is that tonight, if we listen to it, if we pay attention to it, if we take it in, it has the opportunity to explode our understandings of ourselves, of our lives, of God, of Jesus Christ. And this is so for those of us who come in uh, who are not familiar with church at all and, and, and those of us who are you know, maybe born on the altar, right? You've just been here your whole life. Uh, the, these, these parables, the words of Jesus have power to open up your eyes to see God in a whole new way. And so that's what I want to do tonight, is just look at this parable and look at this situation and see what it teaches us about Christianity and the gospel. 
right? So that's the plan tonight. If you're okay with that, I'll proceed. If not, too late. So with that, uh, what's going on here in this situation? Uh, what's going on here is that Jesus is sitting down to eat. He, he does this frequently. Uh, word on the street is he did this his whole life, eating. Um, apparently many years of his life. Uh, some of you are getting that to joke. It's cool. Uh, but he, was, he did this at the house of a Pharisee named Simon. And he came sort of as a guest of honor. Uh, one thing that was very common to do in those days was to invite uh, over like a legit biblical teacher to your home as a guest of honor and engage in theological discussion. And, you know, so basically your pastors were like cool people in, in the first century, uh, you know, great party guests. And so Simon has Jesus over uh, to just talk with him and his friends. Now, it's significant that it mo- mentions that uh, Simon was a Pharisee, right? The Pharisees were the social and some of the social and religious elite in, uh, in, within Judaism at the time. They were, they were a sect within Judaism who were very strict, very um, observant of the law. They believed that their obedience was central to the salvation of Israel. So they took the law very seriously, right? These were, these were, the, these were the Saturday school teachers in the local synagogue. These were the people who tithe. These were the people who take, took care of the poor. These were good folk, right? These were good folk. Simon was good folk. And so he has Jesus over for some theological conversation. And it says here that they were reclining for it. This is pretty fun. So in those days, where this would probably have happened was the courtyard, right? And these courtyards were these interesting kind of like inside, outside, inside, outside, backyard porch things where you'd have three walls, you know, one, one, two. Is architecture students take note right here. And then, um, and then open right here. And what would happen is you'd have uh, a, a low table right in the middle, and then a series of like glorified beanbags, chairs, and you know, uh, pillows uh, around it, kind of the, the triclinium. And what you would do is you would, you would lean, you would recline on one shoulder, kind of kick your legs out, reach in, grab your food. Some of you eat this way in your dorm, uh, but they, this was established social norm. And um, you would do it's the laziest thing possible, but that's how they would conduct the conversation. But at the edge of the courtyard, because it's the first century and there's nothing to do, people would gather at the edge of the courtyard to hear the conversation. Uh, and one of the things that would happen is um, they, would, they would listen and they would hopefully maybe get some leftovers after the conversation was over. But one thing you would never do was enter the circle, right? At most, you would maybe call out a question for one of the teachers to debate and talk amongst themselves. Uh, and then you could listen. But you would never, you never enter that circle. That's just, you just don't do that. Um, uh, and into this situation, into this strict religious observant theological situation, burst a hooker. Right? Because that's probably what this woman was. She was a notorious sinner in the city. There's like one category of that for women in, uh, in the first century. And so she just, just burst right on in there, breaking the first social, social norm. And then she goes ahead and decides to break the second social norm. Uh, in, in reaching out and touching a man who is not her husband, right? Because in the first century, like that's, you, don't, you don't have that kind of interaction within the sexes, not even like side hugs, right? You know, you could hug your husband, your dad, your child. This is, but beyond that, no, no. But she, a sinner, reaches out and touches him, a holy man, a rabbi. So faux pas number two. Beyond that, she does it in the most awkward way possible, right? What does it say she's doing? She, reaches, she, she rushes in and she starts crying, crying on his feet, which are, again, kicked out because of the triclinium. And she's crying and weeping. And so, oh, well, let me wipe that off with my hair. And, and it's, it's just this most awkward situation possible. And so Simon, at this point, you can just imagine his face like, oh, goodness. 
he does not know who she is, does he? No, he is a he does not know the kind of woman this this woman is, otherwise he would not be letting this happen, right? And you can just feel Simon's awkwardness. Jesus knows exactly who she is because he's Jesus. And not only that, he knows exactly what Simon thinks about who he does or does not know that she is. And so he answers him. This is what's funny. Simon thinks this and Jesus answers, right? Because he knows what's in his internal monologue. Um, so he answers him. He says, Simon, let me, let me tell you a little story. And then he tells this story. And here it is. Two guys owe a money lender a debt, right? One owes the equivalent of maybe 10 years salary. Another, maybe one year. Neither can pay. And so the money lender looks at them and says, you know what, you can't pay. I'm just going to go ahead and release the debt. So, Simon, which of these two fellows do you suppose will love the man more? Simon, being very mathematically gifted, says, the one who owed him more, <laughs> right? And Jesus says, very good, Simon. You've grasped the story. Now let me explain why you have completely missed the point, completely misunderstood me, misunderstood what's going on with this woman, your life, forgiveness, and the nature of God himself. And that's really what I want to talk about the rest of the night, is, is, is look at, clarify, clarify what is going on here with forgiveness. What is going on here with the right response to forgiveness? How can we understand it and get to the place where we respond rightly and understand God rightly? And that's what I want to do for the next hour and a half. Um, I don't let that joke go. It's like one of the three I have. Um, so first though, what, is, what, is, what, is, what does this tell us about the nature of forgiveness? Right? Uh, the parable, it just uses a, a very simple Greek word, uh, aphiemi, and the, the, the root basically just means release or pardon. Right? And the basic understanding and theological metaphor is this. God created you out of nothing. There's nothing, and then there's you, and God made you. Right? And so everything you have, everything you are, the air in your lungs, you know, the, the, the skin on your, on your bones, your flesh, every bit of food you've ever eaten, every friend you shook hands with, every sunset you've enjoyed, every run you've ever been on, all of those things are actually given to you by God. They come from his hand. In which case, you owe him everything. You owe him your life. You owe him, uh, you owe him your obedience. You owe him your worship, your love, your, your respect, your honor, your glory, all those things. And the thing is, uh, we don't give it to him. Right? That's what sin is. Sin is robbing God of what he is due. It is, it is racking up moral debt. It's taking your moral credit card. Every, every sin, every, every minute of your life that you live it as if it's yours and not God's, you're taking that moral credit card and just swiping it and swiping it and swiping it. You're going your whole life without paying rent, so to speak, because you just think you own the place. And that's the moral situation we're in. And what happens when you owe somebody money? Right? What do you do when you, when you owe your friend 20 bucks and you can't pay him back? You start to think of excuses not to see him, right? You're like, ah, you know what? I, you know, there was that one time that I, owed, I lent him two bucks and I never said anything about it. And really, he's got more money than he needs. I'm doing him a favor. And honestly, he's kind of a jerk and I don't really need to see him. And, and, and we just create this distance, right? If we feel like there's something between us and somebody else and we don't want to face it, there's a distance that opens up between us. And this is our state with God. There is a gap. There is shame. There is guilt. Because deep down in our hearts, we know we've alienated ourselves. And so what God's forgiveness is, 
God's forgiveness is God reaching out, grabbing hold of us, looking us in the eyes and saying, look, I know you can't pay. The debt is gone. Come home. That is, that is forgiveness. I know you can't pay. The debt is gone. Come home. And when you start to see that, you start to see how God's forgiveness is not just restricted to the good and respectable folk in the room, right? In fact, it makes sense out of why Jesus consistently and constantly went after the dregs and the social outcasts of society. Those are the people he preferred and he went after most, right? Because forgiveness is not just for good people. Good people don't need it, right? And so these are the people that Jesus went after. And this is, this is the reason why the woman could come to Jesus and feel free to openly love and worship and, and, and honor and pour out her heart to him because she knew his lack of condemnation. She knew his grace. She knew that he was kind to those who everybody else despised and rejected. Now, no, forgiveness, just to clarify, forgiveness is not, um, it's not saying that these things are not sins, right? Jesus says these, her sins were many. Forgiveness is not saying, oh, you know what, boys will be boys, girls will be girls, whatever, that's just what they do. No, forgiveness is saying you've done wrong, real wrong, but you can't fix it yourself, so I will take care of it. And this is exactly what Jesus pronounces, and this is exactly what people understand from him. But again, this is why forgiveness is for everybody and for everyone. And just for those of you who are in the room tonight, you don't really know why you're here. Uh, maybe your friend dragged you, or you came because there's a cute girl who you thought you could talk to, or whatever it is. And, and, you, and you just think, if people really knew who I was, they would know I shouldn't be here. If people, are, if people really knew what I did, or people knew what I did two hours ago, they would know I shouldn't be here. Let me just say to you right now, there's a lie. There's a lie from the pit of hell. You are exactly who Jesus came for. You are exactly who he wants in this room. So just if you need to hear that, um, a little bit of a sidebar. Uh, but in any case, this explains why this woman's response is what it is, right? See, the right response to forgiveness is the response the woman gave. What she did was she poured herself out with total abandon and she did it in a very concrete way right it says she took this alabaster jar full of full of ointment and let me just tell you this was not cheap stuff right this wasn't the little you the toilet that you pick up at the drugstore and you it wasn't it wasn't the axe spray of the first century right this is this was like really nice stuff that was probably either essential to her profession or maybe it was a gift and she was using as part of her future retirement this was this was thousands more and she pours it out, right? She pours it all out on Jesus, right? And it's really her pouring her whole self out. Her pouring her whole life out in response to the news of God's forgiveness and his love and his acceptance and grace of her, right? Because what she realizes, right? She realizes that he has seen me. He knows who I am. He knows what I've done. And he has accepted me anyways. And that's when you understand that forgiveness provokes a response. And that is exactly what Jesus says Simon had no clue about. Because remember, this is, Simon is the reason he told the parable. Simon is the point, right? Because he says to Simon, this woman gave me everything and you gave me nothing, essentially. And, and when you think about, what, think about it in the, in the context of the first century, this is really what happened. Simon actually severely disrespected Jesus. 
right? Because when you come in, come in as a guest in a home in the first century, you come in, uh, there are no paved roads, you're all wearing open-toned sandals like it's California, and, but there's, it, the, you know, the roads are dusty, there are animals of various sizes and shapes, and leavings of various sizes and shapes, and you walk in, and, and you're just gross after the end of the day, and you walk in, and, and the common courtesy is, here's a bowl of water, wash, wipe yourself off, right? And then maybe, you know, a little oil for your head, pat, pat it down, get yourself respectable, and, you know, a kiss, greeting, intimacy, come into my home. Simon apparently did none of these things, right, for Jesus. No, he says, Simon, you didn't do any of these things for me. You invited me in, yes, but you invited me in as entertainment. You invited me in to evaluate me like some hipster critic, whether or not I'm worth your time. Certainly not as if I'm your Lord or your master or even a respected teacher. Simon didn't do any of that. And at the root of it, I think this is because Simon was a good person. Right? He doesn't feel the need to do that. You can tell this is a man who has probably never really been broken up about his sin. He has maybe felt sorry. You know, we've all felt sorry. But he's never been in one of those moments where he just realized, oh man, I have just, I have just gone and done it now. I have, I have ruined it. And I don't deserve an ounce of happiness in the rest of my life. He has never been in the pit like some of you know what that's like. right? Because he's kept the rules. Right? He's been a good guy. He's a, he's a church kid, right? I'm a church kid. There's, I think there's probably a few church kids in this room. And, uh, you know, Bible, you grew up in church, Bible studies, all that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and the thing is, when you grow up hearing about, you hear stories like this, you hear about forgiveness, you know, your whole life, uh, there's a way of knowing that God forgives me uh, and everybody needs it because nobody's perfect. Uh, but there's this part of you that still secretly or not so secretly is like, okay, but you know, I'm a good kid. I've been, I've been obedient, right? I didn't give my parents trouble that much. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't fornicate. I mean, I didn't, nobody would go out on a date with me to get that to happen. But still, it should count for something, right? I've been a good kid. And when you have that in your bloodstream, when you hear about forgiveness and you hear about grace, there's this danger that your reaction is just kind of like, that's cool. It's apathy. And I'll just tell you, that apathy is the scariest place in the world to be. Why? Because Jesus, what does he say? He says, he who has been forgiven little loves little. She who has been forgiven little loves little. See, unless you know the grace and the forgiveness of God for you, right? Not, 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 not always for others, but for yourself. Unless you know that life-changing love of God for you, you will be trapped in the arrogance and the criticism and the, and the judgmentalism of Simon. And the irony of it is, Simon, this woman never did anything in her whole life of sin as arrogant and disrespectful as Simon did to the Son of God who walked through his door. Because he was caught in the trap of thinking he's a good guy. That's the irony of it. That's the irony of false religion. That's the irony of, of false self-righteousness. That's the irony you can trick yourself into, into, into giving, giving the Son of God the middle finger through your goodness. And, and the flip side of that, the flip side of that is that, and the really sad thing, is that Simon was really missing out on the freedom 
and the joy and the passion that this woman has. Because think about the woman. At first, she seems like an embarrassment, right? She's walking in, you know, she's crying. She's probably snotting. It's like the ugly cry in the movies. And, and you just think, oh, man, you feel awkward for her. But then you realize she doesn't care. She doesn't care. She doesn't care about anybody in the room. None of what anybody thinks. How many of you have ever lived a day in your life where you didn't care about what anybody in the room thought? She did. She ran in there. She cried. She wept. She did whatever she needed to to pour her life out before Jesus. Why? Because she knew she had the acceptance and the love and the approval of the only person in the room whose opinion mattered. Jesus Christ. And the, and the God who he came, in whose name he came, right? And that's freedom, right? That's joy. That is, that is everlasting and living life flowing up in her soul, right? That's the stuff, that's, that's, that's the hymns we sing, right? That's the joy she had, and that's the joy that Simon missed out on. So the question I think some of us have to face tonight is, how do I know if I've, if I've understood this forgiveness, Right? Jesus gives us, I think, two tests, or there's two tests we can look at this passage and kind of uh, evaluate. One is uh, kind of in, internal to the text. The other one's kind of uh, something I've seen over the years. Put it this way. The, the first one's internal, right? And, and, and I, I suppose it's this. Basically, how is this offer of forgiveness hitting you right now? I mean, maybe not me as a preacher, right? Whatever, so-so. But like the, the, the singing about forgiveness and hearing about forgiveness, does it do anything for you? Right? I'm not saying you have to break down weeping. Right? Some of us are just not emotional. My dad is, my dad is an engineer. This is not, tears do not come natural for him. And that's okay. Uh, so, so, but, but, but the question is, can, can, you, can you hear about this week in and week out and not have it move your soul? If so, you might be struggling with an apathy issue. The other one is external, which is kind of helpful because some of us, some of us are like spiritual hypochondriacs. Like you hear a sermon and you immediately think, oh my gosh, I have that. I, I might be a serial murderer. Like, and it's like, no, 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 that's <laughs> chill. Okay, that might not be you, right? But, but, but uh, this one is, is more, um, what happens when that person walks into church, right? What happens when that guy, that girl Right, whoever it is for you, right? Whether it's the whether it's the, the jock or the bro or the or the or the really really sex positive roommate that you didn't really realize that was even possible physically, and like you know when you think or, or the person who hurts you deepest, right? The person who alienated, the person who shunned you, the person who what happens when they walk through the door of your church, or your college group, or even tonight? What is your heart towards them? Does it say? Do you say, ooh, do they not know where they are? Or, or is it more of like a southern, like, oh, well, bless her heart. Isn't that good? She's here. Or is, it, or, or, or is it more like Jesus? Oh, thank God. I hope she hears what I have heard. I hope she knows the love I have known. I hope he, I hope he understands what has changed my life. Is that where your heart goes? What's your response, right? At this point, we have one more question, which is how do I avoid becoming like Simon or how do I get out of that if I, if I realize I've got this struggle with apathy in my own heart? What do, what do I do, right? I think there's one thing. You, you, you have to understand two things. You have to understand who it is who forgives you and at what cost. 
who it is who forgives you. Jesus says to the woman, he says, woman, your sins are forgiven. And this causes great scandal because they ask, who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? Exactly. That's the point. Jesus walks in there and he actually claims the authority to forgive sins as if he's the offended party, which according to their scriptures, there's only one person who can do that and that's God. And here's the thing you need to understand, and a lot of us have struggled, and maybe, maybe I'm just projecting out, but I have struggled in, in my life trusting what God is really like. And when you look at Jesus, what you get to understand is that Jesus is what God is really like. Jesus is a forgiving God. God is a forgiving God. He has forgiveness in his bones. He has forgiveness in his flesh. God is not a God who has to have his arm twisted to forgive you. He doesn't sit up there in heaven thinking, man, if I have to forgive this fool one more time, I swear, I'm at my way. No, that is not God. God longs to forgive. Forgiveness was, was God's plan from eternity long before you ever thought of repenting. God is forgiveness in his bones. You need to know that. And you can know that when you look at Jesus. And the, and the way you can truly know that when you look at Jesus is when you start to see what it costs him to forgive. See, forgiveness costs. Forgiveness is natural for God in one sense, but at the same time, forgiveness costs. Forgiveness always costs. Dumb example. One of you wants to go on a date, right? It's a weird concept. You, you ask a person now and you pay for their dinner and you spend time with romantic interests. Um, and, and so, but you think, I don't have any money. Right? I'm a college student. Um, and so you think, well, Derek, you're a graduate student. You must be rolling it. And I think, obviously I am. And so you ask me for money. Obviously. You ask me for money. I say, here, yeah, take, take, take it. And then you take, you take the young woman out on the date. And I see you two, two weeks later. I ask you, how, how did it go? He's like, it was awesome. We shook hands. She said, you call me. Um, I'm waiting, but you know, I'm hopeful. And, and, and I'm like, but you're like, okay. I, uh, I don't have the money, though, Derek. I'm like, okay, all right. That's okay, don't worry about it. What just happened? I just ate 50 bucks is what happened, right? It cost me 50 bucks for you to get a handshake and the hope of, of tomorrow that's never coming, right? This is, <laughs> this is, uh, but me forgiving your debt cost me 50 bucks, Forgiveness always costs, and, and, on, and on a serious note, when I decide to forgive you for wronging me, for slandering me, for betraying me, it costs me. It costs me pain, it costs me anguish, it costs me uh, retribution, it costs me vindication to some degree. And it costs God. And we see that cost on the cross of Jesus Christ, where on the cross... This is God himself assuming our debt. And this is the, this is the miraculous paradox, right? We can't pay it. And so God says, you know what? I will handle this. And so God himself takes on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He takes on our humanity. He lives the life we ought to have lived, loving God and neighbor perfectly. And then goes and is handed over to sinful men and crucified on a cross of wood, bearing our sin, bearing our shame, bearing our guilt, and then taking that guilt and shame and burying it in the grave and rising again. And in our place, He does these things to pay what we never could pay and to confer on us a forgiveness we never could have 
brought to ourselves, never could have earned for ourselves. And this is sheer grace. This is gift. Because God just likes giving. God just likes giving to people who can't pay Him back. That's God. That's Jesus. And that's what you need to understand that that was for you. That was for you. Do you understand that? And that's my only question for you guys tonight. Is do you not understand that this is for you? And maybe some of you guys need to wrestle with this. Maybe you need to wrestle with, maybe you're the church kid who needs to wrestle with the fact that this was for you, not just your neighbor. Right? Maybe you're the person who, who is walking in, who I was talking to earlier, who is not sure that they should be here. That was for you. Maybe you've believed this, but you still struggle in the back of your mind. But does he really love me? Is he just putting up with my presence? God doesn't waste the blood of his son to just put up with your presence. He purchases you to bring you in a relationship with himself. To love you. To know you and for you to be known by him for you to have your life transformed, for you to live a life of freedom like that woman lived her life freely with total abandon for him. Free from condemnation, free from shame, knowing that the Father loves you. So that's my only question is, do you know this? And if you know this, let's sing about it. Let's praise his name. If you don't know this, if you're not sure, talk to one of the pastors who, or one of your friends who brought you, or I'd love to talk to you afterwards or in the worship. But this is, this, is what, this is what you need to wrestle with tonight. Do I know that this is for me? Do I know that God is the forgiving God? That's, let's just go ahead and pray. Um, Father, you are good and you are righteous and you are holy. And you are loving. You are so merciful. And you love us. God, I pray that we would know that tonight. Help us to know it in our bones and live it out. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.